According to the latest crime rate report of India, the country has experienced varying degrees of crime rates across the different states. Notably, Uttar Pradesh, Kerala, Maharashtra, Bihar and Delhi emerge as the regions with the highest incidence of criminal activities. The most prevalent crimes within India are predominantly theft, followed by robbery and assault, and then murder. In fact, the 2021 National Crime Records Bureau report of India reveals some alarming figures. India witnesses an average of 82 murders and 11 kidnappings every single day. In particular, the capital city of Delhi witnessed 454 murder cases in 2021, while the city of Mumbai reported approximately 162 murder cases during the same period. As we delve into the statistics, the same motive emerges as the primary driving force behind the significant number of murders in Delhi. Personal vendettas. It's a revelation that doesn't come as a surprise, however, for across the globe, one of the most pervasive triggers for homicide is the lethal combination of sexual jealousy and a thirst for revenge. During the years from 1998 to 2007, India became the haunting backdrop to a sinister chapter in its history, the reign of a serial killer. His name was Chandrakan Jha, a man who embarked on a gruesome killing spree that spanned nine long, terrifying years. What's particularly chilling about this narrative isn't the staggering tally of 18 victims, but the horrifying state in which they were discovered after. One by one, Chandrakhan would scatter the severed body parts of his victims around the city of Delhi, even going so far as to leave a decapitated body outside one of India's most secure prisons. As we delve into the story, the biggest question that arises is why? Why would he commit such acts of brutality? Why would he even dump the body parts outside the prison? You're listening to Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by Mediacorp and produced by 1UP Media. This episode contains scenes of graphic imagery and violence. Listener discretion is advised. The name Chandrakhan Jha echoes with a notorious infamy, and his haunting past offers a disturbing glimpse into the genesis of a criminal mind. Hailing from a humble village of Gosai in Bihar, India, Chandrakhan's upbringing was far from idyllic. Confronted with the harsh realities of poverty and hardship, he encountered a world where the basic necessities of life were luxuries. His parents struggled to provide for the family and would often resort to illicit activities to make ends meet. While the specific nature of these activities remain undisclosed, they undeniably thrust Chandrakhan into the realm of criminality from a tender age. With no one around who could instill in him a moral compass to distinguish between right and wrong, his journey led him down a path where he was inevitably pulled to become a street kid. As the young Chandrakhan got older, he found himself constantly running into the law. 
This ranged from engaging in minor acts of petty theft to gradually becoming involved in more serious crimes. Chandrakant's upbringing and early exposure to a life riddled with crime not only blurred the lines between right and wrong, but also served as the catalyst that set him on a path to becoming one of the most nefarious serial killers in India. On the early morning of October 20th, 2006, the phone rang loudly at the Harinagar police station in Delhi. Upon answering the call, the dispatcher was met with a jarring voice. The unidentified caller brazenly disparaged the police officers on duty, labeling them as fools and accusing them of not doing their jobs. Then he made a chilling revelation. He claimed that he had placed a lifeless body right in front of the imposing gate number three of Tihar Jail, known as Delhi's most fortified and secure prison. With this grim revelation, the phone line abruptly cut off, leaving the authorities stunned. Immediately, a call was made to the head constable who was on duty at gate number three. Good morning, sir. Check. Check if there's a dead body in front of the gate now. Sir? Just do it. The head constable cautiously stepped outside the gate and began a meticulous reconnaissance along the perimeter of gate 3. The early morning air was thick with suspense. His senses on high alert as he walked further. Then, out of the corner of his eye, something drew his attention. At first glance, it resembled a brown fruit basket, innocuously placed by the wall. As he bent down and opened it, the contents were neatly arranged, presenting an eerie semblance of a carefully prepared gift. Unfolding the wrapping, the officer saw what appeared to be a sandbag, compactly and meticulously packed. And then, in a heart-stopping moment, he noticed it. Deep red stains, seeping ominously through the fabric of the sandbag. As the head constable gingerly unraveled the tightly bound ropes that had secured the bag, a grisly discovery awaited him. A lifeless body was revealed, but its head was missing. Almost immediately, the rest of the Harinaga police station team was urgently summoned to the grim tableau, and their arrival marked the commencement of a harrowing investigation. The victim was identified to be aged between 28 and 30, with a dark complexion. Surprisingly, although the victim was found naked, his arms and legs remained unharmed, which hinted at a chilling truth. Whoever did this had most likely intended to decapitate the victim from the very start. Amidst the gruesome revelation, another unsettling detail emerged. A letter was found inside the basket. The contents of the letter were laced with a torrent of abuse, seemingly aimed at both the authorities and the criminal justice system itself. Everyone in the Delhi police force are All of you are Yet, it was the closing lines that sent shivers down the spines of the officers. It said, I have endured the punishment for crimes I did not commit. 
But now I have murdered for real. I challenge you to catch me. More gifts are coming. Catch me if you can. On that same day, records indicate that mere hours after the discovery of the first body, the murderer dared to contact the police once more. This is where the sources get increasingly unclear. However, it is documented that during the call, the caller seethed with anger as he recounted the harrowing ordeal of being subjected to brutal torment by prison guards during his time inside Tihar jail. This disturbing exchange eventually escalated into a heated argument over the phone, and it ended with the caller issuing a threat. He said, Who do you think you are to challenge me? I'm going to challenge you openly. You will keep receiving such gifts from me. With such a substantial threat issued to the police, the hunt was on for the murderer. Immediately, the police started tracing the calls. Their investigation revealed that both calls had originated from separate public telephone booths. The first was situated to the east of Tihar jail, while the second was to the jail's western flank. When they asked about the number of calls placed on that day, the booth operator revealed that only a single call had been made by one mysterious man. He was described to be between 28 to 30 years old, with a dark complexion. Meanwhile, the investigators directed their focus toward the disturbing letter that had been found in the basket. Amidst the abusive language and threats directed at the police, the letter held a few vital clues that could potentially reveal more about the killer. Firstly, the killer had inscribed his words in a dialect commonly associated with the people hailing from Bihar, a state located roughly 900 kilometers to the east of Delhi. This subtle linguistic nuance hinted at his possible origins and may have just provided a clue into his identity. Secondly, the killer claimed to have endured a wrongful incarceration for a crime he did not commit. This revelation strongly pointed to his status as an ex-convict, a suspicion bolstered by the distinct language and terminology he used in the letter, which were only used by those who have been to prison or worked in them. Perhaps most disturbing of all, the killer revealed that in 2003, he had carried out a strikingly similar act, depositing a lifeless body outside gate one of the prison. Then he boldly asserted that despite his gruesome actions, no police investigation had ever materialized, leaving his deeds unpunished. Upon verification by the police, it was uncovered that indeed, a lifeless body had been abandoned outside Gate 1 in 2003. An excerpt from the police records reads as follows. Sir, it is submitted that on the 20th of November 2003, a dead body of a male was found lying in a plastic bag with ropes near Gate 1, Central Jail, Tihar. This case was registered and investigated, but there was no clue regarding the accused person. As a result, the case was closed. A formal request was thus dispatched to Tihar Jail seeking assistance in the task of identifying potential ex-convicts who match specific criteria. 
These criteria included being between the ages of 25 to 35, possessing a darker complexion, and originating from the state of Bihar. Moreover, the candidates were further classified based on the severity of their criminal records. The police weren't looking for people who committed petty crimes. Rather, they were in pursuit of individuals with a history of serious felony convictions. In response to this inquiry, the investigators were presented with a list comprising approximately 30 to 35 individuals who aligned with the specific criteria. With this, the investigators diligently embarked on the challenging endeavour of locating and interviewing these individuals, a process that entailed substantial time and effort. However, as the days passed, the investigation seemed to be making little headway, and a palpable sense of frustration began to permeate their ranks. It gradually dawned on them that this pursuit may well be a waste of time. Growing increasingly restless, they began to believe that their valuable time and efforts could be better used in the investigation of cases where the victims were actually identified, as these cases had more evidence and were thus easier to solve. Half a year had passed, and the investigation showed no signs of resolution. In April of 2007, the police received yet another distressing call. Once again, outside gate number three of Tihar Jail, a lifeless body was found, this time in the exact same location as the previous one. As if the initial pressure on the police to crack the case wasn't already daunting, the situation escalated to an even more dire level. The gruesome details of the second discovery intensified the urgency and gravity of the investigation. According to reports, the victim's remains were discovered in a nightmarish state of mutilation. The body had been cruelly bound in a fetal position, with both hands and legs savagely severed. Shockingly, the perpetrator had also ruthlessly cut off the victim's genitals. Yet this time, there was no letter found in the basket. A few days later, the police received a distressing report regarding the discovery of a human leg and other body parts near the district court in Delhi. Immediately, the authorities arrived at the scene and made a chilling connection. The severed leg was an eerie match to the body previously found just outside Tihar Jail. But despite searching the area, they still couldn't find the head. Furthermore, this occurred during the early 2000s, when Delhi had limited CCTV coverage and lacked a comprehensive DNA database. These technological limitations further hindered the investigative efforts, creating a perfect storm of obstacles for the police. With mounting pressure from the media to solve the case, the police had no choice but to pull in additional resources to find the killer. But merely a month later, on May 18, 2007, another lifeless body was discovered. The police were struck by the chilling familiarity of the scene. Another victim, another fruit basket, outside the menacing gates of Tiha Jail, gate number three. The victim's fate echoed the same gruesome pattern of the past, marked by decapitation, horrifying mutilation, and the eerie presentation within the basket. And just when they thought they had seen the worst, a sinister twist awaited them inside the basket. Another letter 
let the media know just how dangerous I am and go ahead and announce a reward to anyone who shares any information so that this game gets a little more exciting. That's coming up in the next episode. Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast, is brought to you by MediaCorp and 1UP Media. This episode was produced and written by Guangjin, edited by Alex, narrated by Jason, audio experience by Ethan Sam, additional engineering by Ashley from 1UP Media. Special thanks to executive producer Danny Cordy from MediaCorp. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next one.